you to worship our awesome God. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Micah. We're continuing in our sermon series in the Minor Prophets as we start off in Micah. It's right after Jonah. It's kind of how it works. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Micah. We'll be in chapter 1. And as you get there, let me open up our time in prayer. Father God, as we come together, as we gather together as your family to worship you, and as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word, through the preaching of your word, Lord, I just pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to what you have to say through your word as you reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, I pray that this isn't necessarily a time where our ears are just tickled, but that through your word you'll continue to sanctify us by, by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I want to preach so that you are glorified and I want to speak of you and there's no amount of gifting that can make this turn out well outside of you. So by your Spirit, help me to preach this sermon. And Lord, use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. Micah chapter 1. some churches get other people to read through Scripture for the sermon so that the pastor doesn't stumble over all the names. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, we're in Micah chapter 1, and bear with me. I've been practicing, but it's not going well. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsteth in the days of Jotham, Asa, and Hezekiah, King of Judah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear you people, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down at steep place. All of this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgressions of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. And it has come to Judah. It has reached the gates of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not to Gath. Weep not at all in Bethlehephrah. Roll yourself in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame, and the inhabitants of Zanan. Do you not come out? The lamentations of Bethazel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Morath wait anxiously for good, 
because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachesh. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts, O Morthethgath, and the houses of Zaxib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Morsheth. The glory of Israel shall come to Abulam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair, for the children of your delight make yourself as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. And you drop the mic and walk away. I don't know about you, and I've said this before, but there is not a day that goes by that I don't wonder about what in the world is going on. There's not a day where I don't read the news or watch the news or hear the news, and I can't help but think that. And that's what's going on here. Micah points out some external concerns. As we read through this text, the external concern was the spreading power of the Assyrian Empire. If we remember back in Jonah, Assyria and Nineveh had repented. They had turned from their ways. That was the whole beef that Jonah had with God, that God actually showed grace and mercy to these awful people. Awful. But that's no longer the concern anymore. Some years have gone by. Assyria is beginning to flex their muscle a little bit. They have this great habit of making this uh, militian army. They would hire everybody around them. So their army was massive and huge. They were known for doing outrageously evil things to whatever was in their way. In fact, they would conquer a nation and then make that nation part of their army so that that army would then get to do what was happening to them. They were awful, seditious like people. There was an external concern that was coming here. They were the superpower of the time. The political history of this era consisted mainly of rebellions, small and large, against this policy that the Assyrians had. And then the Assyrians would respond with this overwhelming, overwhelming savage force. These were not nice people at all. You know, this past year, we, 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 this past week, we remember the 75th anniversary of the landings in Europe. As the Allied forces, many of them Canadian boys, went to conquer a very similar empire. These conquered people that the Assyrians would have would be relocated en masse into vast Assyrian domains. They would go in, take the rebellious people, and actually it's a pretty smart policy. These people are not nice here. We're going to move these people over to where they have nobody. They solved that problem really quickly. They conquered the lands and organized them into permanent Assyrian provinces. But as the prophet saw it, 
the political and the military problems, they were only symptoms of something that was greater and a deeper problem. Because the other concern begins to shine through here. There's a second problem. The moral and spiritual condition of Jerusalem has become rampant. It's everywhere. It's everything that they are. Despite an outward embrace of biblical religion, Jerusalem had turned its heart away from God. So God comes and he begins to deal with his people. I think when we look around us, we see an outward threats and inward threats, right? But I think we spend a whole lot of time thinking about the outward rather than the inward. And that's what Micah begins to address here with the people of God. He comes and he says, all of these outward problems are just something that is showing about something that's deep inside of you. And as Jerusalem's true religion was revealed by his outward conduct, our profession of faith is likewise tested by our obedience to God's word. So Micah asks us this question. Are you in as much wonder of the one who created and sustains all things as you are with the wonder of what is going on around you? So God comes along and he judges based on his holiness in verses 2 to 7. Hear you people, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. That's like, well, now you're toast. Because God sees everything. I'm not calling other witnesses. I'm going to be the witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Our God is holy. What an amazing thing. Here, you peoples all around you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. God is, a, is sovereign over everything. This isn't spoken about a specific person but to all the people of the earth. God is going to show himself sovereign to everybody. Even though here he's specifically addressing his people, he is calling all people to see what he is about to do. See, Micah's God isn't a national tribal deity. He is the God of the universe. And as he says, Lord God, it really is putting an emphasis on the sovereignty of our Lord. Micah is saying, look, everything that is about to happen that I have just said to you, everything that is going to happen that I'm going to say to you, is not a mistake. It is not. It is not because Assyria got mighty and they're bigger and stronger than you. I allowed that to happen. I initiated it. Micah wants us to see a God who is so sovereign over all things and tells us that all history is theological. Everything that we see in our world is God's sovereign will. And he comes and he says this, I'm going to witness against you. Like I could just imagine this. I'm standing there listening to this crazy guy that looks kind of weird because the prophets looked weird back then. Just think of John the Baptist. That guy ate locusts. And he says, God is going to be the witness against you. 
Even a vague understanding of who God is, like I mean the vaguest, will make you shake in your boots. And then he comes, not among you, but against you. The nations are to know not only that God will judge his people, but also will judge them. And God says to his people, come see what I'm about to do to my own people for their sin. This is intense. Because as I always read this through, how often do we go, oh, yay, that's talking about somebody out there. This is very specific to us and God judging his own people. This idea that Christians are never to be judged is a false idea. Revelation says that we'll be the first. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter. We will be the first. So the high places, mountains will melt, valleys will split open. The Lord is coming out of his place, and what a display of awesomeness. Right? Like, God is not the kumbaya on a green hill playing his guitar with flowing blonde hair and blue eyes God here. He's coming down from his holy temple, and creation is going to quiver The mountains, the rocky mountains are going to become plateaus. The valleys are going to be filled like liquid wax. Just imagine that. You're watching the candle and and, and everything begins to melt. That's what happens when God comes down from his holy temple. Micah wants to see us as catastrophic consequences of God's coming to earth. This apocalyptic literature is absolutely amazing and terrifying all at the same time. Shows these catastrophic consequences of God's coming to earth. Creation essentially disintegrates before him. This just doesn't show God's power over nature but to emphasize his terrifying might against rebellious humankind. And John Calvin writes it this way, Such figures of speech symbolize how, defense, how defenseless we are, how totally unable to resist God. For if God should suddenly appear, who could withstand his furor? Ultimately, the scene of creation melting at God's approach belongs to the last day, but the final judgment is anticipated in every prior intervention of God in judgments in the affairs of man. It's an amazing passage. It's displaying the awesomeness of who God is, his holiness and his might. And in verse 5, we come along, and unlike the deities of the world, our God is not a God who will change his mood suddenly. He's not doesn't have an unaccountable change of moods or behavior. He doesn't have a, a mood changes. It's because of the transgressions of his people that he begins to come down from his holy mountain and all of this begins to happen. It's not against the nations that God is bringing judgment. It's against his own people. People are dancing and celebrating 
at this moment, right? You got to remember the context, the political context of this time. Uh, Israel has been divided into two. We have the north and the south, Israel and Judah. They're, they're divided into two. And then they come along and they hate each other and they're fighting each other all the time. Jerusalem thinks that they're better than Samaria because Samaria has compromised on the law of the Lord. They got their little golden calves going on and they're worshiping uh, another fake god. Jerusalem thinks that they're better, they're dancing, and they're like, yeah, Samaria, they're finally going to get wiped off the face of the earth. Wait. And you can just imagine, right? They're just dancing, celebrating their tambourines. Yeah, Micah, you're the man. Wait, did he just say Jerusalem? Yeah, he, he did just say Jerusalem. He did just say Jerusalem. And God will come and he will bring the nation like Assyria to come and to judge, to pour out his judgment on these people. Because, why? In verse 5, because of their transgressions, because of their sins. And what are these sins? What are these transgressions? They dare put their hope in something else but God. God will destroy Samaria. How fitting. But God comes and he begins to judge his own people. Now this must have shocked those who were hearing. There were, these people were heirs of Abraham. They were the followers of Moses and and they were part of the promise to David. These were the people of God who possessed the Bible and and worshipped God in the true temple. But here is the problem. Corruption had set in to Jerusalem. False worship was tolerated. Sexual promiscuity had had become common. Greed dominated civic government. Injustice grew uncontrolled. And the ruling class oppressed everybody who was beneath them. And God had warned Jerusalem through the prophet of Amos just to listen, to repent. And now under this weak leadership of King Jotham, God was setting up Jerusalem for fire and destruction. God comes to judge for, as the Apostle Peter would say later in 1 Peter 4.13, or 17, it's the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. So let me ask you this. Because I've been reading this going, what in the world do I do with this text? Do you see how similar the situation is to that of the church in the West? See, those churches that I, you know, we come along, and I'm guilty of this all the time. Oh, that church, that one down the street, they don't really believe in the Bible. So whatever's happening to them, praise God. They don't really hold to the true gospel. They're not gospel-centered. They've compromised so much. And God begins to judge them, right? He begins to take their lampstands away, and the churches begin to shrivel up, and they begin to die, and they're like, oh, good riddance. You know, this is great. That's not the people this text is talking to. This text is talking to the people that think they got it all together. 
We come and read the book of Revelation and celebrate how God will pour out his judgment on the world, but how does God deal with his own people? We are the heirs of a faithful generation, are we not? But presuming on God's kindness, the church, Christian church has tolerated man-centered worship. How often have I left the worship service complaining and lamenting in my mind that they didn't sing the song that I wanted? I'm the pastor. I actually get a say in what songs I get to pick. But how often have we tolerated man-centered worship, elevating people over the God who should be elevated? How often have we tolerated false doctrine or unholy living? Like the Jerusalem of old, Christians in the West look out and see a culture awash in moral depravity. In comparison, we think we are doing pretty well. But the Lord says, no. I am coming to cleanse you, my people. The problem is not how the world is living, but how the church is living. Your loose sexuality, your lack of interest in my word, your self-absorbed approach to worship, your lack of mercy for the needy and the poor, your low motivation for evangelism, these are all things I'm coming to judge. For these And many other sins, I am causing your labors to fail, he says, allowing the wicked to achieve their aim. And this is how Micah's message relates to the church today. We see what is happening in the world and and affirm God's judgment on it, but God applies his word directly to you and to me and says the church has become like the world, worshiping the world's false gods, and so will fall under my own judgments. We forget words like this, that God's command in Leviticus and 1 Peter is to be holy as God is holy. To be separate as he is separate. In 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I think to myself, how many times do, we, do I watch something on Netflix and just let it go because it was a good story? Oh, that's a great story. There's a very, very popular show out there that is essentially pornography. And it's popular. It's won awards in the whole nine yards. But we let it go. I let it go. You let it go. Have I, have you, begun to love the world around you and all it has to offer more than God who steps down from his throne to mount the greatest rescue the world has ever known? Do we love our sin more than we love the Savior who saved us from the sin? to call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light so that anyone who repents and believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, will have life. God's hatred of his people's sin is so deep that he will not hesitate to use an idolatrous nation to judge his idolatrous people. We don't seem to see this. And Jerusalem didn't either. See, I was convicted of this in continuing to do this. 
Because as a parent, I discipline my children. Now, at least you should, as a parent, discipline your children. That's what you're there for. Not to be their friend. <laughs> That's for free. Um, but how often do I punish my parent, my, my parent, my children? How often do I punish my children for the very characteristics that they see in me? Stop yelling at your sister. Why are you yelling right now? Hey, look at this text and I kind of think, wait a second. Is that not more true also within within the relationship between the world and the church? We come along and we judge the world around us for their sin. Neglecting that we too ourselves haven't been dealing with the exact same sin in our own lives. We are called to have mercy and grace as God has so lavishly poured on us. And how bad are we at that? Is the world around us just taking what they are seeing in us and maybe stepping it up a little bit? Because again, we're to be holy as God is holy. See, God is the universal judge and sovereign king who is active in his universe and will act in the face of sin. Don't be fooled. God will act. The Lord is the universal judge of the sovereign king who is active in his universe and will finally act in the face of sin. And as God's people face judgment, this prophet reacts in this amazing way. Did you look at verse 8? This is his outcome. This is the prophet's outcome of what he's just said to this people. Verse 8, for this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped naked. Don't worry, I'm not doing it. (laughs) I will go stripped and naked, and I will make lamentations like the jackal. Have you heard a jackal? They're the most annoying noise in the world. And mourning like uh, ostriches. Yeah. See, the outcome of the prophets, the outcome of the prophets' uh, prophecy to the people of Jerusalem is not celebration. He laments. What is he wailing over? The destruction of Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah is lamenting to describe his own frantic reaction to the idea that judgment that will happen. So he goes barefoot and naked through the countryside. Now you re- see, back to my comment about prophets are weird. But this is what he's doing. This is what he's feeling inside. This isn't a happy moment for him. He's in agony. And he goes to these towns to talk about all that is happening because in verse 9, for her wound is incurable. It's talking about her idolatry which is so deep and entrenched that it was like an incurable disease. And as a disease that started in Samaria, it comes to Jerusalem like a plague. And it spreads like a cancer. In verses 10 to 15, Micah names these cities, which are essentially word plays in the Hebrew language. And as he says, Bethlehem are told to roll in the dust 
The name actually means the house of dust. It's a sign of lament and, and, and terrific grief. You know, Shafir means brilliance of beauty. And he laments in terms of nakedness and shame. Prisoners of war were escorted from captured villages as they walk in nakedness and shame. You know, Zenen means to exit, but they won't be able to. And it was God who put them there. They had given their land over to the idol worship, so after decades of patient warning, God took their land away. They were debased. They had debased their culture with immorality and saturated their religion with false worship and teaching, so God gave them over completely to the pagan idolatry that they had learned to love. You know, the ten tribes of the north, completely, Samaria, completely were wiped off the face of the planet, never to be heard of ever again. Never. They never came back. The judgment of Samaria was a foretaste of the final judgment of all the world for its sins. Yet for all of his disgust with the sins of Israel, Micah rightly laments and wails. See, Christians should look on a godless world through the same eyes of Christ. Do we weep over the lost states of, our, of the world like we see Micah doing? Because I don't know the last time I felt like that. Our hearts burdened over the judgment of that family and friends are securing by just refusing to believe in the one who came to save them. Like Jesus and the prophets, we are to tell people the truth about the death that awaits them in hell unless they repent of their sins. But notice the attitude with which this happens. People are offended by the Bible's prophetic message. But what if they saw tears in her eyes and a heart that is broken for them? I think it might change things. You know, we look at our friends and our neighbors, our sisters, our brothers, our children, our grandchildren. Paul says he pleads. I plead with you. I plead. Be justified to God. See, notice the attitude. How heartless is it when Christians denounce the sin of the culture but make little effort to point out the way to God's mercy through faith in the blood of Christ? There is an escape that is possible from this judgment. Remember what we learned from Jonah. Jonah comes and he gives the worst sermon possible. He says, repent. Doom's coming. But it's implied that if repentance is happening, God would relent. So Nineveh relents. And what does God do? Or repents. What does God do? He relents. He gives his grace and his mercy. 
At the end of Micah 1, Jerusalem is portrayed as lamenting and helpless, as a helpless mother wailing over her population as she sees them heading into exile. This anticipates Jesus' lament over Jerusalem itself as he describes himself as, as the hen who wanted so much to gather the chicks under his wing. But it doesn't happen. Jesus did not look on helplessly, though, as his people went into exile. He went the way of the cross, submitting himself to humiliation, mutilation, and finally death, going into exile in their place. The gospel still shines through in this text. It's not just a... Christ died for our sins and rose again. Which brings me to the so what? See, God is the universal judge and sovereign king who is active in his universe and acts in the face of sin. So how do I escape the thing that Micah is talking about here? How do I get away? See, I don't know about you, but I struggle with this text. I really do. Micah isn't talking about the world. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about his own people. I really struggle with this because I don't want to be the person, I don't want to be the recipient of this. I really struggled with it this week as I was thinking, do I just talk in general terms to the church in the West or do I bring it really personal? And say no. You know, there's this. If we walk away from the text of any scripture and say we keep pointing our fingers at everybody else, we've got a problem. We haven't addressed what the text says. Because as we read it, God reveals himself to us. And our reaction to how God reveals himself through us through his word should be how how far short we are. And the natural response of that is to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins. See, God is saying to you and to me, no, don't worry about all those other people. I'm coming to cleanse you, my people. See, the problem is, is how the world, the problem is not how the world is living, but how the church is living. And what an amazing weight that it is. God offers us, though, this simple way to escape God's judgment. God just doesn't bring judgment without a way to making things better to be redeemed. It comes in the very first word of Micah, right there at the beginning of verse 2 here. It was a failure to hear that ultimately caused Samaria's demise and threatened Jerusalem with the same. God sent his prophets, but his wicked people would not listen. Micah's prophecy still speaks to our world today. God's word speaks to us every day. If you will hear and listen, then you will fear the Lord and turn from your transgressions and sins. 
See, the amazing thing is that God did not stop speaking to the world with the prophets. In time, he sent the great prophet, his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus called out to the world with a message of mercy and grace, a call of forgiveness and new life through faith in him. Jesus will deliver you from God's judgment, he says, from your sins. As he says in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus declares, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into the world into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Hear, listen, and believe on Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Jesus calls on his people in the church. He calls to you and to me to hear his word and obey his commands. I am the light of the world, he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Are you walking in the light of Christ or are you still dabbling in the darkness of sin and worldliness? If you're not following Jesus in a holy life, then remember God's threats and chastisement to Jerusalem. Yes, God will destroy Samaria. But what about Jerusalem? And its very same sins. Do not walk in darkness. Follow Jesus, and you will have the light of his life. God is a universal judge and a sovereign king who is active in his universe and will act in the face of sin. Let's continue to praise this God.